KMTT, the Shur in Parshat HaShavua, will be given by Harav Alex Israel. Shalom, this is Alex Israel, um, Nalan Shvut. Um, this week we're going to talk about the special Parsha of Parshat Shkalim and the Haftarah of Parshat Shkalim. Um, and we're going to try and understand a little more about uh, their content and their significance, um, also in a contemporary perspective. Um, everybody knows that we read Parshat Shkalim um, just before Rosh Chodesh Adar or on Rosh Chodesh Adar. The question is why? Uh, from the Parsha of of, uh, of the Shkalim, which we read, it, it appears in uh, Shemot, Chapter 30, the beginning of Parshat Kitisa, we are all under the impression that the half shekel uh, is a tax which is collected whenever we want to count the people. And this is very clear from the words of the text. Kitisa at Rosh B'nei Yisrael, if Kudahem, v'natnu ish kofer nafshol Hashem v'kodotam, v'lo yebahem neget v'kodotam. When you count uh, the children of Israel, uh, each person should give uh, a redemption for their soul, um, so there won't be a plague. And the, what they're meant to give is a half shekel. And here, um, probably many of us remember from uh, our early education, the idea that one is not meant to count uh, people directly, Jews directly, and that what we should do is uh, we should um, give a half shekel and count to some other medium. Um, was the half shekel only used in order to count the people when the people needed to have a national census? Or was there some other uh, significance to uh, the counting? And indeed, since we don't need to do a national census every single year, uh, why would it be that we always read this parasha of the half shekel just before Adar? Um, in fact, uh, the source of this custom to read Parshat Shkalim comes from an absolutely different direction. Uh, you see, the half shekel was not only used in order to uh, count the people. It was actually used for the temple on an annual basis. And maybe we should start with the opening Mishnah in Masechet Shkalim, um, an appropriate title, which says the following. Uh, on the first of Adar, an announcement is made regarding the Shkalim and regarding Kilayim. We'll explain that. On the 15th of Adar, the Megillah is read in towns and they begin to repair roads, cisterns and mikvaot and mark graves. And on the 15th of the month of Adar, the tax collectors are present in the city. Well, what, what is going on here? Uh, the Mishnah here describes the technical details of the annual half shekel tax. Um, the tax was to be submitted on the 15th of Adar. And we're told that in order that everybody should get their money ready, uh, there was an advance warning, a public announcement was made on the 1st of Adar, Rosh Kodesh Adar, that everybody should get half a shekel funds ready, and that this was to be um, submitted by the 15th of Adar. And the Mishnah tells us that if you didn't do it locally on the 15th, then on the 25th of the month, uh, you'd have to actually somehow uh, get it sent by courier to Jerusalem because they weren't making a local tax collection. Now, what was the donation of the half shekel used for? The Mishnah, actually in chapter 4 there, tells us that it was used for the Karbanot Sibor, 
the public sacrifices uh, for the uh, Midrash, for the temple. Now, what exactly are these uh, public sacrifices, these Korbanot Sibor? Um, it's actually quite simple. Um, there are Korbanot sacrifices which are brought by uh, individuals. Uh, for sins, uh, sin offering, a satat, or, or maybe for celebrations. Uh, you bring a Korban Tudah, somebody had a baby, um, somebody had a bar mitzvah, they might bring a Korban Tudah. Um, for all ritual purification, for visiting the Bet Nidash, all the time people brought korbanim. But these are personal korbanim. However, there are also other korbanot sacrifices which are public, which are on behalf of the entire nation. For example, the daily sacrifice, the tamid, or for example, the musaf, or the festival sacrifices. These are not on behalf of any particular individual at all. They are actually on behalf of Klaus Yisrael, um, the, the nation as an as an organic entity. Uh, obviously, uh, we don't want any particular Jew to um, give them money for these public offerings because uh, they're on behalf of the people and they shouldn't be donated by uh, Mr. Goldberg or Mr. Cohen or whoever it might be. And therefore, um, these public offerings have been bought from a communal fund, from a communal account. Um, this is where the Shkalim comes in. Uh, the Chatsi Shekel was donated by each uh, uh, male member of our village of 20, uh, each male, male member of our Israel. And uh, it would seem like the aim of the Shkalim tax is to make no differentiation between rich and poor. Uh, it's a poll tax, um, each person. And the funds collected are used for the uh, public korbanot. The coins themselves were put into a massive uh, room, and uh, they would, you know, once in a while, fill a, a bucket of these coins and use them in order to buy the relevant uh, animals for the sacrifices. But the idea was that the uh, donation would be on behalf of the entire year, uh, nation of Israel, and the collection is renewed each Nisan. Um, each Chodesh uh, Nisan, the funds of the half shekels are renewed, and um, therefore Adar becomes the collection month. Um, now we did mention a few other things in the Mishnah, like they spoke about fixing up Mikvaot and roads. Um, that is because other preparations were made in Adar in advance of the Aliyah Regal, the pilgrimage to Yerushalayim, especially I imagine there would be a mass rush on Jerusalem um, for Pesach, for the Karban Pesach, and um, after the winter and all the rains and everything, they would need to fix up the roads, uh, fix up the cisterns, uh, clean out the, the, the wells so people would have water and, and the mikvahot so people could purify themselves. Um, in other words, this mission in Shkalim tells us that we are, we are now mobilizing towards, towards, um, towards Pesach, but one of those things is the half shekel tax. So if we can go back to, um, what we're actually doing this week when we read Parshat Shkalim in Shul, um, uh, this week, Sunday and Monday, are Rosh Chodesh, and because Rosh Chodesh is coming up, we reenact the announcement of the Shkalim by reading Parshat Shkalim um, in Shul. And uh, we sort of remind people that once upon a time, we had to actually get our half shekel ready, um, and in fact, there is a minhag uh, to give a zecher in a matzah shekel, this is a minhag mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch, that on on, on Tanit Esther, on Erev Purim, we each give um, a coin or three coins of ha- half, a, half a shekel or half the local currency in order to remind ourselves how 
uh, at uh, you know due, the tax was due on the fifteenth of Adar. On the fifteenth of Adar, people would bring um, their taxes to the um, to the local tax collector in order that it would be delivered to the Mishkan. Um, so this is uh, really why we do Parshat Shkolim. It is true that there were two other functions of the half shekel. Uh, one was in the original uh, time of Moshe Rabbeinu, the half shekels were used in order to create the silver sockets. The half shekel was a half shekel of silver, and the silver was melted down, and it was used in order to help build the actual Mishkan itself. Silver sockets and silver hooks for the Mishkan were fashioned out of the very silver used in the half shekel. Um, the other thing that it was used for, as we mentioned in our introduction, was that it was used in order to count the people. But I imagine that that was a somewhat uh, irregular event. Um, here in Israel, I think we have a law that we have to have a census every 10 years. Um, but even every 10 years, it's not every year. So the counting of the people is a somewhat periodic event. But the half shekel tax was an annual event, and it was there in order to uh, bring the korbanot and to uh, fund the korbanot sibor. To that degree, it actually is a lovely, lovely minhad, because it reminds us of the notion of unity, that uh, when we... uh, There are things we do as individuals, but that ultimately we are all part of Chal Yisrael, and in the Middash, there were sacrifices brought on on behalf of the collective. Um, There were sacrifices where one action somehow was meant to uh, concentrate the uh, identity of every single Jew into one particular action, and we did that by each donating exactly the same amount, whether we were rich or poor, young or old. And um, to that degree, when we remember the half shekel, it's a lovely time to think about uh, the notion of Kuala Yisrael. Um So that's um, when we when we want to think about the actual Parshat Shkalim. That's why we say Parshat Shkalim this Shabbat. Uh, we read our regular Parshat Shavua, Parshat Mishpatim, and then for Maftir we read Parshat Shkalim, and then the Haftarah. And it's actually the Haftarah that I would like to turn our attention to. Um, the Haftarah comes from uh, Malachim, the Book of Kings, um, the second Book of Kings, Malachim Bet, Perakim uh, Bet, and it's about the King Yoash. Um, and I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about Yoash and the story there, because I believe that um, this story has an incredibly timely message uh, for us, especially uh, in the current situation we find ourselves in Israel at the moment. Um, and I'll explain in due course. Uh, let me just outline the story, because I imagine that many of you aren't totally familiar with all these kings, uh, whose names are sometimes confusing. Uh, the king Yoash um, came after a very uh, rocky period for the kingdom of Judea, the southern kingdom. Uh, Yehuda centered in Yerushalayim. Um, before Yehoash, uh, there had been a period of, uh, a short period of Avodazara. Uh, the influence of uh, the northern kingdom Baal had somehow spread to um, the southern kingdom, to Yehuda. And uh, for about uh, 15 years, there had been a period in which the national religion, I should say, had been almost uh, uh, turned to the Baal and the Asherah uh, the person who was behind all of this was a quite an evil woman called Atalia. She was actually Achav and Izebel's daughter, and she had married um, one of the uh, Judean kings, the kings of Yehuda, Yoram. And um, through, through through two kings, Yehoram and Achaziahu, and then 
afterwards, Atalia, um, there had been an enormous period of Vodazara. Um, this had affected the Mikdash itself, and it would appear that, uh, if you look in Divrei Hayamim, Atalia had actually turned the Mikdash, many of the Kalim, to Abodazara, to non-sacred purposes, and had even actually destroyed certain sections of the Mikdash. It's not exactly clear what, uh, which section she did destroy, but in Divrei Amim, uh, we read that, uh, they talk about that she had made Pratsot in the, uh, certain broken down certain sections of the, of the Mikdash. Um, in addition, Atalia had actually killed the entire royal family because she wanted to rule herself. And, uh, we find a situation she had killed all of the heirs to the throne apart from one baby. And that baby was taken into hiding by, by his wet nurse and his aunt. And, uh, this baby's name is Yehoash. And when Yehoash is seven years old, um, he is somehow brought into public by the Kohen Gadol Yehoyada, and he is crowned in the Bet Mikdash at age seven, and, uh, out comes Atalia, the pretender to the throne, the evil woman, and, uh, they actually take her out and they kill her, and Yehoash at age seven becomes king. Um, now we don't know too much about him in his early life, he definitely seems to be, as a, as a young man, uh, somebody who is loyal to God, and it appears that his protector and his mentor is Yehoyada, the Kohen Gadol, who would definitely seem to be a very worthy character. And we read there, at the end of chapter 11, in Malachim Bet, uh, the Sephardim read this as part of the Haftarabi Ashkenazim Dot, that by they renew their covenant to God, and everybody comes along to the Bet Midrash and destroys the Baal, destroys all the Mizbachot of the Baal, the altars and, and everything else, and they decide to renovate the Bet Midrash. And this is when Al Haftarah comes in, and the connection with um, Parshat Shkalim, because then we read that um, in the 23rd year of the King Yehoash, he decides that uh, the funds for the Midrash have not been properly uh, put together, and they haven't got enough money to properly put the Midrash and to renovate it, and to bring it up to scratch. And therefore, uh, what does he do? It says, he says to the Konim, What you're meant to do is, you're meant to actually give money to the uh, house fund. And how does he do it? He does this by taking Aron Echad, he takes a sort of box, or some sort of container, he makes a hole in the door, and he puts it by the Mizbeach, on the right-hand side of the Mizbeach, and any person who came to the Bet Midrash would have to put money into this box. Um, and when they saw the box was full, the Sofer HaMelech, the secretary of the government, and the Gohen Gadol together would count all the money, and they would uh, give the money to the various craftsmen who would uh, be able to um, do the uh, repairs and renovations in order to fund the uh, Nikdash. By the way, in this regard, this has a lovely parallel with the Shkalim, because the Shkalim were used in the um, original Mishkan, actually building it with itself, and on an annual basis, as we said, the Shkalim went to the Nikdash, and therefore there's a perfect parallel. Maybe, as some people have suggested, this is the first Sadaka box. Um, here we have the notion of a box with a hole in the door, and uh, like a big pushka, um, people would put money into the box. Um, it would seem like a very simple parallel and a very simple story. 
and uh, therefore maybe nothing more needs to be said. But uh, what I would like to do is go a little bit into uh, the Haftarah and understand uh, a message which I think relates to our current situation in Israel. Because the situation is more complex than I described just now. If you if you have a chance to have a book in front of you, that would be great. If not, I'll help you out by reading the Pesukim. In the first section of chapter 12, it says the following, verse 5, Originally, Yoash told the people that all the money that needed to be procured uh, for the Bet Midash, the Kesef HaKadashim, money for the sacrifices, whatever Kesef Over, which might mean the annual half-shekel tax, and even Ish Kesef Nafshot Erko, the donations that people would make on an ad hoc basis to the Midrash, how should, how should the fundraising be, take place? Originally, Yoash had a, a, a simple method to do it. He said, The Kohanim should collect the money, each person, from the people that they knew, from their acquaintances. Now, this would seem to reflect the system of Truma and Maaser, Truma and Maaser, from the farmers that he knows. He, he goes around the farms and collects Truma and Maaser. But, um, we can well imagine that there can be a situation in which if you um, get money from your uh, acquaintances and your friends, uh, this allows for corruption. Uh, there's a certain opening for corruption here. Now, the reason why I say there's a certain opening for corruption because if you keep on reading the story here in Malachim, this is what happens. In the 23rd year, Yehoash turns around and the Kohanim haven't done their job. And Yehoash says to the people, He says to the Kohanim, he says to the Kohen Gadol, You have not done the job properly. Why aren't you doing... Um, the job. And uh, why aren't you renovating the Migdash? And you know what he does? He changes the rules. In in in, in, in verse 5, he said what the method of fundraising was to take from those people you know. But in verse 8, he says, Do not take money from people you know. Do not take money from your acquaintances and friends. Do not take money from your business associates. Instead, what you're meant to do is give it straight to the Mikdash. In other words, there should be no middleman. The Kohanim should not be in the middle taking money from all their friends and then giving it over to the Mikdash, but rather it should go straight into that box, straight into that box with a hole. People will give and they will cut out the um, the mediation of the Kohanim. Let's try and explain the original situation and the new situation. Um, if you look at the Mufarshim, um if you look in the Radak, uh, he explains that the original system was that Kohanim would collect contributions, fundraise. Um, it probably worked for many decades, even centuries, and um, maybe it worked very well for a certain amount of time. But we can well imagine the corruption that it could cause. Um, certain Kohanim might become activists, lobbying more rigorously for extra funds, and then they would probably have greater power um, to decide where those funds would go. Um, it could be that certain Kohanim who were very unworldly, weren't interested in fundraising and just didn't bother, or they initially gave a push, but then they became uncomfortable taking extra money beyond their regular truma and maser um, 
And we know that sometimes uh, fundraising does work this way. Sometimes uh, on a, I don't know, on a school committee, all the members of the committee will have a dinner and each uh, get their friends to come and join a table at the dinner. But uh, maybe this isn't a, a good way for a national institution like the Mikdash to be funded. Um, whichever way it worked, uh, we don't know whether this created corruption with certain Kohanim uh, lining their own pockets. Uh, by the way, I do think that there might be certain hints in the Psukim um, that uh, that is the case, because um, the Pasuk in Pasuk sets Chet says, Don't take money for your friends, give it to the Bedek Habayit. Give it to the uh, temple funds, indicating that some money was maybe getting lost. And again, some people explain, some of the Mepharshim explain, I think Rashi explains, that it wasn't getting lost. People were waiting till they had a lot of money to bring to the Nidash, and some of the money simply stayed at home because they forgot to bring it or whatever it was. We know that uh, when it comes to fundraising, um, the results uh, matter. Uh, the success of the system is in the bottom line. And uh, the bottom line was that the Betmikdash was dilapidated, the system was not working well. Uh, we don't know whether it was um, that they were corrupt or just inept, but uh, I don't know whether it was fraudulent, but um, or maybe amateur, but the money did not reach the destination. Um, and therefore, um, we now have a different situation. And the um, invention of this uh, big Tzedakavats next to Mizbeach is there in order to ensure that um, no money will get lost and that every single person who comes to the Mikdash will um, provide a donation from the ongoing running of the Mikdash. Uh, but not only that, um, the way this money is counted has checks and balances. It says here that the, uh, the people would put the money into this uh, Aron, this box which was next to the Mizbeach, but then, when they saw the box was, was full or filling up, the top representative of the Kohanim and the top representative of the king or the government would together account the money. So it again indicates that there is a, um, a certain checking system to make sure that no money gets uh, gets lost. Now the reason why I say this is... Uh, somewhat timely, is because here in Israel, unfortunately, we're dealing with all sorts of uh, uh, impropriety in the government and scandals and corruption, and uh, here we have a situation where um, you have a king who is uh, very, very interested in uh, taking the country forward and furthering the Mikdash. He thinks he's got a great method, and the method is a very um, friendly method. Um, It's a method which maybe works on a very informal basis. Let the con in, go collect money, um, and it works very well, maybe for small organizations. Um, sort of reminds you of maybe the way Israel was in the 50s. But when a country becomes more organized and when things uh, become more formalized, uh, you can't have this sort of informal uh, way of fundraising just through acquaintances. And maybe there has to be a greater sense of accountability. Um, and that's what Yoash did. And in that way, he actually made progress and helped the Migdash um, to... Uh, to actually get repaired. I should say that, uh, obviously, we, we don't want a situation where there is absolutely no trust and no faith. And in fact, at the end of the Haftarah, we actually see a line which uh, actually uh, is taken the halacha. Um, it says that when, uh, obviously, when they needed to pay the bills of all the different craftsmen and workmen in the Bet Yigash, 
the treasurer of the, of the temple, uh, or the treasurers, would have to probably write a lot of checks and uh, give money to, to several workmen in order to do the requisite uh, repairs and, um, and, and workmanship. And it says here in the Haftarah, in other words, um, these people who were responsible for the fund, um, they trusted them. Uh, they didn't make them give detailed accounts, um, the people who used to give the money to the workmen, for they dealt be'emunah. They trusted them. And in fact, the Gemara in Baba Batra, Daftet, says this about, um, about tzedakah funds. He says that Tanu uh, Rabbanan, says the Gemara, um, that um, rabbis taught the collectors of charity are not required to give an account of the monies entrusted to them for charity, and the treasures of the temple uh, also don't need to give detailed accounts. Why? Because of our parrot. Now, I should say this is after the Gemara has already established that uh, you need to have two or three treasurers who who uh, make sure that everything is honest. Um, but uh, I think what, what we're trying to do is have a balance between very rigid accountability and organization on the one hand, and uh, at least a certain amount of faith in public officials on the other hand. Obviously, one cannot uh, have the video cameras standing over uh, every single person checking what they're doing, and maybe we wouldn't want it to be that way. Uh, we appoint people with integrity so that they will practice their integrity. Um, and yet, our Haftarah raises the fact that the Mishkan needs to be funded, and yet on the other hand, um, there are significant uh, issues which have to be addressed uh, in terms of integrity when uh, one is engaged in such a, a practice, and uh, Yoash has to face those things and try and find a healthy balance um, in this in this area. Uh, by the way, I think raising this issue um, of the honesty and accountability uh, certainly uh, matches the spirit of Parashat Mishpatim. And here I'd like to spend the last five minutes of Ashir just uh, mentioning two points in Parashat Mishpatim. It is clear that Parashat Mishpatim um, deals with uh, primarily a civil law and uh, integrity um, within that within that context. And um, and therefore, uh, we have many, many uh, halachot uh, which are addressed to uh, judges. Um, so, uh, for example, we will tell the judges that you've got to be careful that the poor person uh, gets a fair trial. Um, more than that, no bribes. The, many, many of the um, many of the halachot here um, are, are meant to indicate to us that we give everybody a fair chance, um, and and therefore the, the notion of integrity um, is 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 uh, of ever present um, issue in our parsha. But I would like to end off going back to the notion of the shkalim and uh, the uh, representation it gives to the entire nation. The Shkalim, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, um, 
let us uh, realize that there is a part for the whole of Amistrael, uh, a part for all Jews in the workings of the Mishkan. And I think that this uh, theme is also represented beautifully in Parshat Mishpatim. Uh, we have the revelation, last week we read the revelation of Sinai, the Ma'amad Har Sinai, in which uh, Moshe ascends Har Sinai, and God talks to the people, and the people turn around and say, we can't, we can't take the intensity of this revelation. Moshe, you talk to God. Uh, you talk to God, you learn the Torah, and then you'll come and teach us. And uh, we, on, on the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu intends to speak to the whole of Am Yisrael, and indeed does. But it ends up being that Moshe is the intermediary between um, God and, and the nation. Um, maybe you could argue that this, to a certain degree, leaves the nation behind. Um, after all, the nation seems to be uh, taking a, a, a back seat here, and Moshe would seem to be the interface. And uh, where is the direct interface between uh, God and the people? It would appear that, that God is unwilling to uh, leave the people totally in the background. And, and therefore, at the end of Parashat Mishpatim, right at the end of the parasha in chapter 24, we see a um, covenant ceremony where Moshe writes down all the things that he got from God at Divrei Hashem et Kol Mishpatim. He writes them all down in a book, in a, in a scroll, a Sefer Habrit. And uh, he actually, since the people can't hear it from God, he actually uh, writes it down and reads it to them, all the Divrei Hashem, all the words of God. And when the people hear it, um, they, they, we have the famous line, Vayomru kol asher Hashem na the people hear the words of God, not from God himself, because they can't withstand the intensity, and they all say, Na'asevnishma. And then Moshe enacts a, a, a ceremony. The ceremony has a, a, a Mizbeach, an altar, 12 monuments around, which represent the 12 tribes of Israel, again, representing the nation, and uh, the blood of sacrifices. And he says to them, This this is the blood of the co- co- covenant, because God has made a covenant with you um, on all of these uh, laws that he has commanded. The point being made here is that um, Am Yisrael, the Jewish people, are not allowed to be passive in their receipt of the, to- receipt of the Torah. Am Yisrael have to actively uh, embrace the Torah and accept it with full willingness. God does not let um, the Jewish people receive Torah um, as an imposed uh, law, he asked them again and again, uh, are you willing to go along with this? And I think um, here we see the, the way in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu anticipates that every single Jew will be involved, that uh, in regards to the relationship with God, every person every person has a part, every person is equal, both in terms of their contribution to the national institutions, the Beit Hashem, even to the very uh, Mishkan itself, it is not the prerogative of the kings or the princes to build that, but rather the prerogative of every single person. Every single person, when we have the the, the sacrifices of Yom Kippur, um, they're not uh, contributed by the richest man, uh, and they're not even contributed by the poorest man. They're contributed equally by everybody. And in a similar way, um, Israel all stand at the foot of Har Sinai, at the end of our parasha, Ki'ish Echad, Baleid Echad, saying, God is not willing to give the Torah to the people, even if it's going to be Moses himself who is going to go up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Yet, um, Moses doesn't ascend the mountain until the people, every single person, has expressed all in unison um, their willingness to accept Torah, and indeed that a covenant has been made, 
a contract, a, a binding agreement has been made with the entire Am Yisrael, binding every single one of us um, into our relationship with Torah and with the Hodesh Baruch Hu. Uh, Shabbat Shalom and Chodesh Tov.